are listening live to Compact Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM, Auburn's home for student-run radio since 1971. As many of our listeners know, this is Weagle's one and only weekly drive-time morning show, bringing you weather, sports, the menus at the edge, weird news stories, Alabama State history, and more every Monday through Thursday. Broadcasting live from the Bradley-based and WEGL studio on the first floor of the Harold Melton Student Center, I'm your Tuesday host, Alex Houston, wishing you all a happy Valentine's Day. Well, wishing those who celebrate Valentine's Day, happy Valentine's Day. Those who would rather forget this holiday, just forget I said anything. And outside, it's a weird day, a low of 44, but a high of 71. How do you dress for that? I honestly have no idea. And now again today, it is Valentine's Day. We're going to have some Valentine's Day discussions. We're going to talk about the menu at the edge. We're going to talk about Auburn basketball's game tonight against Missouri. We're going to talk about Auburn Gymnastics, their victory over LSU this past Friday, and what they do against Missouri, another Missouri team, this upcoming Sunday. It's a weird schedule for gymnastics. I'm going to ask Coach Grabe about that later today to media availability. Maybe I can share some of those answers with you in a Weagle article. I know Daniel Locke will be covering that for us, my co-sports director. We're also going to talk about what's happening in Ohio. I know many of you haven't heard because it's almost getting no coverage at all. It's going to be hard to find the research, but I'm going to do what I can. And we're going to talk about UFOs. No alien activity suggested, suspected, but, well, it seems a little strange, a little scary, a little spooky. Stuff's flying around, stuff's floating around. I don't really know what the heck we're supposed to do about that, but... This is Compact Discourse on Weagle, 91.1 FM and WeagleFM.com. If you're listening inside the Auburn Opelika Megaplex, it's Weagle 91.1 FM. In your terrestrial radios, in your car, if you have an actual radio just sitting in your house, I doubt that. But if you do, hey, that's pretty cool. Or outside the Auburn Opelika Megaplex via our internet superhighway on WeagleFM.com. Set up by the brilliant Cameron Kasperzak, our website director. The place looks great right now. So... Obviously, let's kick things off with the NBA, maybe. I think that is kind of the biggest news story because, unfortunately, it seemed like all the fun trades happened after my Tuesday show last week. I talked about the Kyrie trade to the Mavs, but then everybody got traded to everywhere. Kevin Durant is now with the Phoenix Suns. Draft picks are being sent everywhere. Second-round picks are going everywhere because nobody cares about second-round picks anymore. Gary Payton II is back with Golden State, but apparently – They've been pumping him full of Tordal to get him through performances, so now Golden State isn't sure how that's going to work out. Then I don't really know exactly all of the crazy trades that happened across the NBA. In fact, why don't we give you all a quick rundown here of the major trades. There were quite a few. The Lakers now have D'Angelo Russell. They basically got him for nothing is how I would honestly describe that. So let's see here. Notes. Ooh, the notes and numbers at NBA.com. Okay. Let's see if this will load real quick, and I can give you guys some updates here. I thought the Kyrie trade was one of the biggest trades, especially considering the pieces involved, Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith. Obviously not huge NBA. Like When I say NBA, I don't mean like huge stars across the league, but for the Dallas Mavericks, two serious contributors, critical to Mavericks' success in recent years, now gone in favor of Kyrie Irving. So the Suns landed Kevin Durant, Darius Basley, and TJ Warren, and they sent out Michael Bridges, Jay Crowder, Cam Johnson, and Dario Saric. 
Now it's going to be Kevin Durant and Devin Booker with Chris Paul and DeAndre Aiden in a starting five. Oh, good Lord. It should work. However, will it? Then the Lakers didn't just trade for D'Angelo Russell. They got Mo Bamba, Malik Bleasley, Rui Hachimura, who they traded for earlier, Devon Reed, D'Angelo Russell, and Jared Vanderbilt. I think that is the secret steal of this trade deadline, Jared Vanderbilt specifically. And then on the way out, they sent Patrick Beverly away. They sent Thomas Bryant away. They sent Damian Jones. Kendrick Nunn, Juan Toscano Anderson, and Russell Westbrook. Now, they're getting pretty much everything you need in that team. And they also, it's important to note that they, again, got rid of Thomas Bryant, who had been pretty poor at the basket with his defense. I mean, you solve a lot of problems there. You get someone who can create off the ball and is not as ball-dominant as Russell Westbrook and younger, D'Angelo Russell. Rui Hachimura, I think, is a lot better just in general for three-point shooting. Malik Beasley is the same three-point shooting, and then you get better interior defense, which I really think their center position has been severely lacking ever since they realized that Anthony Davis belongs more at a power forward position. I think he fits there better, personally. So that's a huge win for the Lakers. Oh, I'm getting an ad right now for halftime price of League Pass. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna click X on that so I can keep reading you guys. What's up? Now, the Timberwolves got a steadier hand, it says. They traded out D'Angelo Russell and got in Mike Conley Jr. and Nikhil Alexander-Walker. I don't think that's a win. It says that, like, Russell was flammable, but Conley will give the Wolves more consistency and leadership at the point guard position. Maybe it's because the NBA official website, but the Timberwolves are clearly a dying team right now. You know, they, they've traded away their future for Rudy Gobert. He has been lackluster, to say the least. And I don't really see where the where the benefits are there. Now the Nets completely reset. They got Michael Bridges, Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, and Cam Johnson, and they sent out Kyrie, Marky Morris, T.J. Warren, and Kevin Durant. I didn't even know that T.J. Warren wasn't on the Nets, was he? Was he? T.J. Warren had that crazy run with the Pacers a few years ago. Now he's back on his original team, the Phoenix Suns, and obviously that is certainly something to discuss in the near future of how that happens, you know, because Dorian Finney-Smith, I believe, is 26. I think Spencer Dinwiddie's not a rebuilding piece because he is on the older side, but Michael Bridges is also 26, surprisingly 26. But is that enough to rebuild? Are they young enough to rebuild, or do you have to reset the board again and just clear the deck again and go back to zero? I don't honestly know. The Nets win in win-now mode, and now they're stuck with Ben Simmons. What else can you say there? Now we're going to do an M- NBA scoreboard from last night. We don't have an NBA soundtrack. So this one says, we're just going to click this one and see how it sounds. This is interesting. Last night, the Cleveland Cavaliers took down the San Antonio Spurs 117-109. to The Cavs are 38-22. The Spurs are 14-44, one of the worst teams in the league. Then in the battle of two teams that kind of reset the board at the trade deadline, the Jazz took down the Pacers 123-117. to The Philadelphia 76ers at home against the Houston Rockets got redemption for the city of Philadelphia and took down Houston 123-104. to Jabari Smith was posting about the riots taking place after the Super Bowl and said, I've got Joel Embiid tomorrow night. Smith went. 3 of 14 from the field with 10 points and 12 rebounds, while Joel Embiid had a quiet night, quiet is relative, of course, 23 points, 6 rebounds, and 4 assists on 8 of 14 shooting in just 30 minutes. 
The Charlotte Hornets, who have been one of the worst teams in the league, took down the Atlanta Hawks 144 to 138. The Hawks had four starters with 20 points or more, but they could not overcome LaMelo's ball, 30 points and 15 assists, along with Terry Rozier's 29 points. What a crazy game there in Charlotte. The Denver Nuggets took down the Miami Heat 112 to 108. The Nuggets continue their hot streak in recent weeks. The New York Knicks took down the new look Brooklyn Nets 100 to 24 to 106. The Orlando Magic beat the Bulls in the battle of two teams sort of outside the playoff race in the East 100 to 91. The New Orleans Pelicans took down the Oklahoma City Thunder 103 to 100. The Minnesota Timberwolves beat the Kyrie and Luka Mavericks 124 to 121. Since Luka has come back, the Mavericks have lost two straight. The Golden State Warriors took down the Washington Wizards 135 to 126. The Warriors notably dealt James Wiseman for pretty much nothing. They just wanted to get him off the books ahead of his contract coming up. And then the Portland Trailblazers beat the Lakers 127 to 115. That is your NBA scoreboard. Obviously, a lot going on in the league. Let's look at your standings while we've got this fun music still playing. The Celtics still hold the lead in the East. They are 41 and 16, but the bot or the Milwaukee Bucks, excuse me, are right behind. They've won 10 straight and they are 39 and 17 with an earshot of the Boston Celtics. Then in the West, the Nuggets hold a firm five-game lead, 40 and 18, while the Memphis Grizzlies. Sacramento Kings and Phoenix Suns are all sort of middling behind from five games back, seven games back, and nine games back. But again, seems like it's all nuggets right now, mainly because the rest of the West is falling apart. And like I said, the Dallas Mavericks make that hit trade for Kyrie Irving, but then when they put Luka back on the floor. So here's actually the way that it works, and this is pretty crazy to me. So they traded everyone away. Kyrie did not play the first game back. When they beat the Jazz, and without Kyrie and Luke on the floor, they beat the Jazz 124 to 111. Then Kyrie comes and plays, and they beat the Clippers 110 to 104. Pretty low-scoring games for a Mavericks defense that has not been good this year. Mavericks this year give up 112 points. Those are both games within the margin, at least in part. Then the Kings, Kyrie's playing again. They beat the Kings 122 to 114. Then they play the Kings again. Luke is back on the floor. He and Kyrie score 27 and 28 respectively, but they can't stop the Kings, who have 22 from DeMontis Sabonis, 15 from Kevin Herter, and 36 from De'Aaron Fox, and also 22 from Terrence Davis. And the Kings win that game. Then they go back home and face the Minnesota Timberwolves, and the Mavs were favored by 5.5 points. And what exactly happens? They lose 124 to 121. Luka... And Kyrie scored 33 and 36 respectively, but J- Josh Green went three of 11, and Jaden Hardy went just one of two from the floor, and the Timberwolves just scored at will with Anthony Edwards scoring 32 points, Rudy Gobert going nine of nine from the floor. So definitely a lot to figure out with the Dallas Mavericks. We're gonna try and figure some of that out after this break. You're listening to Compact Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM. Welcome back to Compact Discourse on Weagle, 91.1 FM, weaglefm.com, 
and in the Bradley Basin WGL studio in case you're just listening in through a window or the ceiling. I don't know who I'm talking to at this point. As you guys can probably imagine, Alex, what happened? You're here alone again on the airwaves. I had a couple people that said they wanted to show up for today's episode. Valentine's Day, we're going to have some fun talking about the best options in Auburn. And here I am by myself again. I suppose it's good practice for the future if I want to be in radio. I certainly hope you guys are enjoying whatever random discussions I seem to be having. I was talking about the Dallas Mavericks for a moment. I'm glad I'm glad I was able to talk about at least a lot going on in the NBA. I don't really know what's gone wrong. Maybe it's just, you know, you run into two hot teams back-to-back and they happen to be the same team, the Kings. Or the Kings and then the Utah Jazz. But the real issue with me for Dallas is that they just don't have an actual center. Right Now, you don't want to spend an arm and a leg on Rudy Gobert because he's a 30-year-old center that has no outside game whatsoever. He has attempted three three-pointers this year and has made none, and he's 67% from the free throw line. You obviously don't want to spend that money there. No doubt about it. But you have to spend that money to be able to stop Rudy Gobert and DeMontis Sabonis because they haven't been able to do that. And... It just is not has not worked. Rudy Gobert is not that good. He's not 21 and 14 on no miss shots good, in my honest opinion. He's not. And Dwight Powell is not, not good at defending. Like people Mavs fans think he's a great defender because by comparison to the rest of their awful defense that they've had in recent years, yeah, he's pretty good. You know, he's he's better than Chris Kamen, I guess, but you know, it's a, whatever. Anyway. Enough, enough of that for um, the time being. Sorry, uh, just reading a text message. Um, so it appears that let's go on to Auburn Auburn sports because that really is kind of – I know that's what you guys want to talk about. That's what I enjoy talking about and so on and so forth. So let's talk about that. Auburn Gymnastics first, though, everybody. Remember, let's start our days with excitement, with some joy. Auburn Gymnastics takes down LSU at home with a season-high score of 197.5. And I believe – or 197.75, excuse me. 197.5, I believe, it came from the – Alabama meet the previous week. Also, I believe it was high scores on bars and on floor as well, so that's pretty awesome. They struggled a bit on beam and on vault, but I think for head coach Jeff Graba, you like to see the peak that these play these gymnasts are reaching in certain events. You know, because they've shown their flashes of beam brilliance. They really have, and they've been excellent on beam throughout the year. Two falls have really hurt their um, rank their scores lately, and I think that's something that at least he might anticipate. Also, one of the routines that's really solid has been Sophia Growth. She hasn't been able to stick that landing the way that she needs to, and that's hurt her scoring back-to-back weeks, but she's shown the flashes there. And I'm looking at the Road to Nationals rankings, which are the best source of all rankings in college gymnastics. Auburn has the fifth-best average in the NCAA right now. And if we go to vault for a second, they are sixth in vault score, just narrowly behind Florida. And there's a pretty substantial gap between Auburn and the seventh team 
versus Auburn and say the third team that I think is like pretty much well, it's, it's pretty close actually. No, no, that's sorry, Auburn and the the fourth team. Excuse me. But you got them on vault. They're sixth. Then on the uneven bars, they are seventh. But a really strong high score last week for them that puts them that is what looks like the seventh highest score in college gymnastics so far. Then you go to balance beam. Beam has been their biggest issue, but still sixth. And then you go to floor, and they are up to fifth with a high score of 49.65 just this past week. They are still ahead of Alabama, who had a crazy high score of 49.7 against Auburn only a week only a week before the LSU meet. But Auburn gets it done in front of another great environment, and it really is, I think, a testament to Auburn Gymnastics that ahead of the Alabama game, ahead of kids camping out, you still had a packed student section ready for that event and ready to watch this team. And I think, you know, it's it's hard to exactly explain it, right? Because anybody, the naked eye will tell you um, that, the naked, excuse me, the naked eye will tell you that it's all about the fact that SUNY is here. Right, It's all about the fact that this, these crowds have shown up because SUNY has arrived. And that might be part of it, right? And I think, I think it definitely is. I think she draws the initial attention. But afterwards, this team, and when I say this team, I mean a lot of things. I mean these gymnasts, primarily, have also shown an incredible amount of talent and charisma. And I couldn't tell you how many people have favorites on this team that are not named Suni Lee, which is not a discredit to her. It's more of a credit to everybody else on this team. To Sophia Groth, whose facial expressions after every time she sticks a landing on beam or on the floor is just, I mean, people love it. To Darion Goburn, the queen of Auburn Gymnastics who has been here since 2019 and has left her mark on a program unlike few other gymnasts ever will in terms of just changing the environment. Because I think her charisma and her showmanship has bled into a couple other gymnasts on the team because of how much it's worked for her. To the production team behind it, I think one thing that cannot go understated with Auburn sports, and this is, people listening could certainly tell me, oh, this is Alex being a homer or whatever the heck. Auburn has a great game day production value. That is arguably one of their best strengths. And it's been that in every sport, and it's continued. You know, everyone jokes that, oh, well, at least Auburn's got this big video board, yada, yada, yada. Well, maybe they should win some championships. And yeah, whatever. The video board is not the claim to fame it should be, but the video board is something that really aids the game day experience in a way that other schools just do not possess. I went to Mississippi State this year for football, and they have two video boards. And they got the cowbells and everything, but it just wasn't the same. The sound system was whack. It just was weird. They played kind of the same hype videos over and over again and again and again and again. It was kind of ridiculous. I think Auburn's entire production value across their many varsity sports, specifically the bigger ones in the arena and, of course, on the football field, is excellent. And it really, it really is a credit to everybody involved with this program for, le- for keeping the fans around. And I think we'll see what happens next year. Now, next year, you're not just losing Sunni, you're losing Darion. So how to, and you might be losing Cassie. I imagine she could stay. I don't know why she wouldn't stay, personally. But beside the point, that's a question for her, obviously. 
and a question we may ask her at the end of the year if we can get her on the show. But how many of these fans that have come these many times are going to stick around? I think a lot will. I started going to games my freshman year and have since kept going. Obviously, the chance to see an Olympic gold medalist is an addition to it and the fact that this team is great and has made it to the Final Four. But the game day experience at Auburn Gymnastics events is excellent. The ma- the face mask singer thing is standing here. The celebrity lookalike, all the games they would play. Jeff's jobs that they did our freshman year, which led to Jeff Graba stepping into the Weagle studio. I think it's really a testament to everybody. And give them a round of applause for it because it's been a lot of fun as just a student to witness the growth that this program has seen these past few years. And yeah, it's going to dip next year. I think I think there's no doubt about that. I think it's just it's just the way it is, especially again, a lot of people that will show up it's this or basketball and the Olympic gold medalist equation certainly can lead people to pick one over the other in a certain case or another, but I think it still is a team that has really taken advantage of this opportunity to introduce a lot of people to a sport that they would not normally see, not normally watch, not normally even know about, and also just have a great game day experience. And it's a credit to everybody involved there. They're going to take on Missouri this Sunday. I'm really excited to go talk with the team this afternoon. Me and Daniel will be going. I'll be going on behalf of my internship with 1819 News, and Daniel will be going with Weagle. We'll be going at 1230 to talk to Coach Graba. Cassie Stevens and Olivia Hollingsworth. I'm really looking forward to all of that. Just to ask them some more questions about this team and about this weird week coming up. They have a meet on Sunday, then they have a meet next Friday. That's a weird schedule. I want to ask Coach Gray about how that affects them in any way. Because obviously, there's not a whole lot of game planning. Because you don't you don't play to beat the other team. You compete to get a high score. So whatever, what there's not like a oh we have to watch game film on. Georgia right after the Missouri meet. That's not really how it works, but how, how does it change their overall preparation? I do wonder because that that is not a schedule that I recall seeing much last year other than the weird tournaments that they had, but that was against multiple teams on a Saturday, a little different. And now Auburn basketball. They're losers of five of their last six. They lost to Alabama after holding a lead for most of the game, lost 77-69. Nate Oates and Brandon Miller got a win in Neville Arena. Alabama won in Neville Arena for the first time in a non-COVID year since 2015. And back to the drawing board again. You know, I talked about how that stretch of A&M, Tennessee, and Alabama, you have to win some of those to stay in the hunt for the SEC championship. Auburn is out of the hunt for the SEC regular season championship. It is now about getting to the tournament at all. This team's resume has simply not been good enough to make it to the tournament at this point. And they're 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 in the danger zone right now. They've got a schedule coming up that certainly favors them in part. And we'll go through right now, real quick, because why the heck not? They take on Missouri tonight. Missouri, a good team in recent memory, but again, it's at home. Then you got Vanderbilt, Old Miss, but then you have Kentucky, Alabama, and Tennessee. Murderers row at the end. You have to win these three games to get you to 20 wins. Then I don't know if Auburn beats Kentucky and Rupp, Alabama and Coleman, or can beat Tennessee here at home. Maybe. Maybe they can. But then that gets them 21 wins and a Tennessee team that's still a quad one win. But Auburn has missed opportunities left and right. You needed to beat West Virginia. You needed to beat Texas A&M one of those times. 
you had a chance to beat Tennessee and you lost it. Three games when they had a chance at the end, Tennessee, West Virginia, and Texas A&M, and they lost all three. They lose a five of six. If they cannot win these next three, they are not going to make the NCAA tournament. That's just not going to happen. The SEC is not that good this year, and they've lost to all the good teams. They have lost to Alabama, Texas A&M, and Tennessee. Yeah, they beat Arkansas, but Arkansas since fell apart. And you look at that team, I mean, the only the only good teams left maybe are Kentucky and Missouri. Arkansas, maybe, not really. And then you got a bunch of bottom feeders, including LSU as one of 11 in conference play. Good Lord. I didn't even know that. I kind of regret knowing that now. But Auburn has a big road ahead of them. We're going to keep on talking about it and then moving on to some other things, maybe some Valentine's Day festivities. Who knows? You'll listen to Compact Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM. Hello again, everybody. This is Compact Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM and WeagleFM.com. Your home for student-run radio since 1971. It's a long time ago. 52 years, in fact. 52 years this April, at least. We were talking about Auburn basketball. Now, what do they have to do to beat Missouri tonight, everybody? I'll be at the game. I didn't get a credential, but I'm going to be at the game. Unfortunately, without my bucket hat. But we'll have to just talk about that another day, won't we? And... Today's game is must-win. Bruce Pearl is aware of the fact that it's Valentine's Day and the fact that the attendance will likely be very low. It's a Tuesday game right after a Saturday game. Students are getting 400 free T-shirts, 500 free chicken sandwiches, and a whole raffle to win some stuff. Who knows? Maybe I'll win some stuff. I don't know if anything will ever top that kid hitting that uh, 94-foot putt to win a car. Truly an incredible time, and I think they should probably just cease to do that activity ever again. Just leave it for the legend who won the new car. But certainly, what exactly does Auburn have to do to win today? Well, Missouri has, it's a problem for Missouri, or for Auburn at least, because Missouri has tall guards, and that's never a good thing. It's never a good thing. Now you've got, let's see, six foot four, Demoe Hodge, who is a senior. You've also got six foot five, DeAndre Golston who is a senior as well. Experienced, tall guards. Six foot five, Isaiah Mosley. Those are three of their top four scores. And then, of course, Kobe Brown is the six eight guard slash forward who will probably be guarded by Alan Flanagan. Large guards have given Auburn a problem pretty much all year, and that is unlikely to change anytime soon, in my opinion. So... I don't know how Auburn adjusts to it. I don't know what you can do because Wendell Green's advantage is that he's smaller, but it's also a major disadvantage, especially when Auburn becomes an attack-the-basket team. The truth is this team cannot shoot the basketball. They only had two players make three-pointers on Saturday, and that's not going to change. So you have to find a way to change that. How do you do that, though? I don't know. If Auburn gives me a 10-year contract, maybe I'll be able to tell you. But I don't know. And I think 
Tonight is the make-or-break game. If Auburn doesn't beat Missouri, they're not going to make the NCAA tournament. Because they can't beat Missouri, they're not going to beat Alabama and Kentucky on the road, and they're not going to beat Tennessee at home. Unless Tennessee rests its starters because they have a good spot. That's unlikely. Because Auburn would be a quad one win, I think, at that point. But it's beyond resume boosting now, even. Right, Bruce Pearl talks about, oh, well, I was looking at that Northwestern game. That, that's a good win for us now because what Northwestern took down Purdue. Yeah, okay, whatever. Quad one wins are very important. You want to make the tournament, but you also want to win in the tournament. You know, I think Butch Thompson talked about it brilliantly last year when Auburn was going to Omaha. He said, I want more than tuna barbecue in Omaha, which is, which is a very brilliant way of describing it. And that's the case for Auburn. You not only want to make the tournament, you want to win in the tournament. For a program that doesn't have a lot of NCAA tournament appearances, yes, adding another one to the history of the program is great. And it adds to the resume of the team and of the program. But one and done in the NCAA tournament is as forgettable as a team can get sometimes. Auburn has not gone one and done in the Bruce Pearl era in the tournament. They've made it the second round every time they've made it to the tournament, which is three times. They were going to make it a fourth time without, with the exception of the COVID year, obviously. So you've got that. But the Missouri game is more of a test of if they can even win in the tournament. Can they make it? I think this team should be able to make the tournament. But can they even win in the tournament? That's the question. You win these upcoming three games – you're making the tournament, and you've at least shown some fight against a good Missouri team. Your upcoming games against Vanderbilt and Ole Miss are not good teams. Though Vanderbilt has, you know, fought a couple teams and given it their best effort. They're not a good basketball team this year. They're not. They're 13-12. They did beat Tennessee, and they did beat Florida, and they did beat Ole Miss, and they've won three straight. But they also lost to Alabama 101-44. to So that's an important thing to remember among many others. But again, Auburn needs to win to make the tournament, and they need to win to show that they can win in the tournament. And the SEC tournament will be another test of that. Again, the regular season is not where their resume ends. They will make the SEC tournament and have a chance to beat some quad one teams. Though, as we've seen in recent memory, tournament games do apparently not matter because Texas A&M had a great run in the tournament and did not make the NCAA tournament last year, but that's because... The selection committee uh, follows the rules of Joe Lenardi. Anywho, on to more depressing matters. What on earth is happening in East Palestine, Ohio? I know you're all wondering this, and here is the NPR article, Health Concerns Grow in East Palestine, Ohio After a Train Derailment. I'm just going to read this in full for you guys. You can listen to this. This is credit to NPR. Health and environmental concerns are mounting in East Palestine, Ohio, after several derailed trains released toxic fumes last week. On February 3rd, about 50 cars of a Norfolk Southern train went off track in Ohio, causing a days-long fire in the area. Ten of the derailed cars, of the 50 derailed cars, contained hazardous chemicals, including butyl acrylate and vinyl chloride, which were among combustible liquids that authorities feared could set off a major explosion. Residents of East Palestine were later asked to evacuate out of precaution. On Monday, February 6th, crews conducted what officials called a controlled release of the hazardous chemicals, which caused a large plume of black smoke to appear. The evacuation order was lifted on Wednesday, and since then, there have been a growing number of reports of people experiencing a burning sensation in their eyes 
animals falling ill, and strong odor lingering in the town. Some business owners in East Palestine residents have filed lawsuits against Norfolk Southern, saying the company was negligent and demanding the company fund court-supervised medical screenings for serious illnesses that may be caused by exposure to these chemicals. Hundreds of fish have been seen dead, and the chemicals have apparently infected the Ohio River, which I believe doesn't feed but uh, covers about 10% of the U.S. population are within the range of the U.S. or of the Ohio Valley River, or the Ohio River, excuse me. Now, air quality continues to be monitored. The EPA, which has been monitoring the air quality, said that it has not detected any levels of concern. The agency added that vinyl chloride and hydrogen chloride have not been detected in the 291 homes that have been screened as of Monday. There are 881 homes left to be evaluated in the voluntary indoor air screening program. The toxic fumes have a short and long-term effect. The EPA released a list which was written by Norfolk Southern of the toxic chemicals that were in the derailed cars. In addition to vinyl chloride and butyl acrylate, it mentions that ethylhexyl, ethylhexyl acrylate, which can cause headaches, nausea, respiratory problems, and people exposed to it as well. This is a pretty crazy event right now, and it's kind of unbelievable that it's not being covered at all. You know, I mean, I haven't seen a whole lot about it, but guys, UFOs in the sky. Be, be wary of a balloon. You know what I mean? That's what it seems to be have become, despite the fact that this event has been going on and nobody really knows anything about it. And it's kind of crazy. So I don't really know exactly what to take away from this because I don't know. You're not going to know how bad it is until later on. That, that, that tends to be the way that it goes, right? Because... These chemicals have been in the air for a while now, and the effects are going to be felt even longer down the road, specifically in people in this town as well as around it. And I just, I don't really understand exactly why. Hmm. I'm sorry, I'm reading, I'm reading more on vinyl chloride. Just, yeah, it seems bad, basically. Let's see. Yeah, just just not great, guys. Not great at all. And that's that's not really uh, the point. The point is again that this seems very negligent, like like the lawsuits apparently say. And I want to thank NPR for their reporting on this subject matter. And it is very serious. And it's kind of crazy. Just this is not something. And apparently the train derailed because it had an old brake system that needed to be replaced and was subsequently ignored. I don't know how true any of that is specifically. But it's kind of a crazy thing that doesn't really happen, at least in recent memory, these kind of chemical disasters, which is what it seems like because I've, people have seen dead fish in rivers and they've got nets trying to catch stuff, but I don't know what you're trying to catch. The chemicals are the chemicals. And it's... Definitely very alarming that this has happened and we don't know what the real effects will be. You know, like they're short-term things, but I mean, people are talking about burning in their eyes and sometimes that might be the best thing that could happen in a chemical disaster like this. And it's just, it's just very alarming that the the worst might be yet to come because we still as it's happening more and more stuff is being reported and we don't really know what the next step is for this company or for the US and this story was written at 5 a.m. 
And now let's see if there's any more recent stories. That doesn't it appears that NPR is the most recent one. Huh. CNN has a Oh, after a train derailment in Ohio, residents are living the plot of a movie they helped make? What? White noise. Huh. Okay, this is the weirdest thing I've ever heard. So apparently, White Noise was a film that was filmed in East Palestine. College professor Jack Gladney and his family's comfortable suburban life is up and when a nearby chemical leak causes the airborne toxic event, releasing a noxious black cloud over the region that forces the... Oh, my God. Oh. My. You've got to be kidding me. Okay, yeah. This is stuff that doesn't happen because they made a movie about it, ladies and gentlemen. A movie about it. What on earth? That, I don't even know what to say. But we're going to be right back. This is Compact Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM. And now we're going to talk about Valentine's Day, everybody. Valentine's Day festivities. For those who do not enjoy Valentine's Day, may want to turn off the radio. I'm just kidding. We'll, we'll talk about some, have some fun discussions, some rom-coms, some bad movies, and more here on Compact Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM. Good morning again, everybody. This is Compact Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM and WeagleFM.com. And oh my goodness, I only just now remembered that it's Valentine's Day. And what better place to celebrate than the Edge at Central Dining? It's menu time, everybody. That's right. I finagled that one in there. And I don't feel bad about it. It's going to be pretty funny. So, lunch at the Edge for Valentine's Day. Ooh. Chicken enchilada casserole, cheese enchiladas, Southwest black beans, Spanish rice, and calabacitas. French onion cheeseburger, Angus burger topped with provolone cheese, French onion, cream cheese, and caramelized onions, along with crispy waffle fries. Szechuan beef with veggie lo mein and Szechuan tofu option, in case you do not want to eat meat. Then a true balance, you've got taco beef, cilantro lime rice, seasoned black beans, and chili roasted corn. Then additional at Streetworks, you've got barbecue spice shredded chicken and a flour pressed or fresh pressed flour tortilla. The the pasta always doesn't have anything there. Then Chipotle ranch chicken pizza, classic cheese pizza, pepperoni pizza, and what we've all been waiting for, the desserts. Caramel pecan, caramel pecan, caramel, caramel pecan brownie. Oreo cookie crumb cake, crumb cupcake, sugar cookie, and a vegan oatmeal cookie. That is your menu at the edge. We need a sound effect for that. I told I told people to get working on that. I don't know if it's I don't know if that's I need I need to have some ideas about that. We need to we need to figure something out there. But we will. We will. Don't worry. Don't worry. We'll figure something out. But there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Now, for Valentine's Day. I always say. But this is also because I'm a movie nerd. And by the way, if you like listening to people talk about movies or like listening to me talk about movies, you can listen to the podcast that I host with Monday host, Davis Carroll. It's called Through the Lens. Pre-recorded ones air every Thursday, and we have episodes releasing every Friday. Now, Valentine's Day 
what has truly ruined this holiday for so many people? Right? Because there are people who, like hate this holiday. And I don't really I don't really get it. Because like, I don't hate any holidays. Except Robert E. Lee's birthday. That that one I hate. But I think honestly, I'll blame rom coms. I know. And just stream of consciousness thought right here. But rom coms they do tend to reinforce lacking reality. Like, so here's a movie we just saw, actually. It was Crazy Rich Asians. A movie that I've heard about extensively. I'd never seen. We have movie nights every Sunday night, me and a bunch of my friends. And we saw Crazy Rich Asians. I'd never seen it before until a couple Sundays ago. I'd actually heard it, learned about it in my film genre class, and our teacher was encouraging us to watch it because it, it did kind of change a lot of things and its diverse cast and telling a unique story, you know, reflecting Asian culture in a much better way, a much more respectful way than most movies had done in recent memory, to be honest. And that movie had so much going for it, and then the ending is the cliche gets her on the plane and says, no, don't go. Don't go on your flight home. Stay here. On the plane. That movie had so much going for it. So many different things. I mean, yeah, a lot of cliche characters, but a lot of hilarious moments. And honestly, really good scenes with a really great cast. Michelle Yeoh, Gemma Chan, the works. I thought it was pretty good. But instead, we end with that very cliche ending. And that's my biggest beef with all of rom-coms is that I feel like they could be different and they just don't. Like, you really, the only thing you come up with is she's getting on a plane and that's what's going to be the end of the movie. Like, we, wow, that, that's a really creative concept that has never been invented before. The Wedding Planner is another movie that comes to mind because I hate that movie. I really do. If you've seen The Wedding Planner with Matthew McConaughey and Jennifer Lopez, I apologize on behalf of culture. Because that movie is quite literally one of the most disappointing experiences I've ever had to watch. Love Actually, though, I watched that a few uh, few weeks ago. Or months ago, years ago, it feels like. Actually, it was. It was, a, it was actually a year ago today, or a year ago this week. We, we did a rom-com episode over at Through the Lens. And Love Actually, I mean, it was pretty good. It was weird. That movie is very dated. And it's very, very, very much a problem because of how dated it is. And I don't want to give away anything in case you haven't seen it because it's like a required viewing for it being a classic. But once you watch it, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about, what I mean dated. And then About Time is probably my favorite rom-com of all time. That movie is so different, so unique, such a good cast. Margot Robbie shows up. It's pretty cool. Dom Hall Gleason, Bill Nye. Nye? Not Bill Nye, Bill Nye. It's important, everybody. And Rachel McAdams, really just a great movie, a really fun, enjoyable film. I would recommend it to anybody if they feel so inclined who enjoys the, the classic rom-com around this time of year. And yeah, that's, that's all I can say. Now, I'm thinking about it. Auburn doesn't have a lot of what you would call Valentine's Day options, do they? Like The Depot, The Hound, Acre. Am I missing places? I feel like I don't go out to eat enough to know, though. Because there's probably nice places around. Like Bow and Arrow is pretty nice. Uh, Downtown Opelika, pretty cool. I think I'm just talking at this point, guys. I, I, really don't, I really don't know what else I have to say. But, again, to those who celebrate Valentine's Day, happy Valentine's Day. Hope you have a good day. To those who don't, hey, I hope you also have a good day. There were some bizarre discussions about how long people had been single 
and the Weagle bullpen or Weagle and Eagle Eye adjoined suite yesterday. I'm not even going to go into the details. Let's just say it was it was an interesting conversation to say the least, and I happen to have witnessed it. Oh, but before we go, everybody, I think it's time for a quick, just a small update. 58 degrees. Oh, wait, no, 53 degrees, a low of 37 and a high of 71. It's going to get up to 69 degrees by 4 p.m. It's going to be cloudy, then the sun will set at 526 p.m. For those going to the game tonight, the game will tip off at 6 p.m. It'll be 64 degrees, but by the time it ends, it'll be down to 59 degrees, and there will be no sunshine out for you, so you better prepare for that. And with that, we're going to wrap things up. This has been Compact Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM and WeagleFM.com, and we thank you for joining us, and I'll be back next Tuesday to discuss things that aren't Valentine's Day related, and I look forward to seeing you then.